Hey y'all, it's Barb. It's Shay. We're here to talk about a murder that's gonna knock you off your feet. So giddy up y'all, this is gonna be a wild one. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode with your hosts Barb and Shay on Texas Chicks Who Talk Murder. We thank you guys again for tuning in to another episode. How's it going Shay? It's going good. We're so close to the weekend, so I'm excited. Yes, me too. Um, going to be a busy weekend, that's for sure. Um, before we get to get started, I'd like to remind you guys that we have merch for sale. So if you want any of that, just let us know. And I'm going to go ahead and just dive straight into today's case because it's pretty long. Um, so I want to go ahead and get started. I got all my information from wikipedia.org. And this one I actually never heard before. And I decided to cover it because my co-worker who actually is my boss um, mentioned him to me and I and it really piqued my interest and I definitely wanted to do more research on it. With that being said today we will be talking about Dean Coral. I think that's how you say his last name. Um, he was an American serial killer who developed the nicknames over the course of time the Candyman and the Pied Piper and I think it's really crazy that I've never heard of him because he was a serial killer in the Houston Heights area. Have you heard of him, Shay? I think I have just from like another podcast. Oh, okay, okay. Well, we are going to talk about him today. So who was he? This man was born December 24th, 1939 in Fort Wayne, Indiana. He was the firstborn child, and his parents were Mary Robinson and Arnold Coral. His parents ended up getting a divorce a few years later after his youngest brother was born. His father then fled off to serve the U.S. military and stayed with his mom. Um, like, Dean stayed with his mom while his father went off to serve the military. By the age of seven, Dean had suffered with a heart murmur. Um, he actually developed rheumatic fever. Do you know what that is? Um, I, I don't know what it is, but I'm going to assume it has to do with, like, his... I'm not even going to say because I'm, I'm going to say it wrong. But, you know, one of my nephews had a heart murmur. So I kind of have, like, some idea of what... A, let me look it up while you're talking. Okay, so after a while, his parents decided to try and make things work between them, um, I guess after his father came back from serving. And in doing so, they decided, let's start over kind of thing. And so they decided to move to Pasadena, Texas, which is pretty much like the outskirts of Houston. Um, but the marriage still didn't work. They they tried and they tried and they tried and it just didn't work. So they ended up getting another divorce. And even with the second time, their mother Mary would still keep the boys. And so Dean was still living with her and they'd have contact with their father as needed. Shortly after their divorce, Mary would end up marrying another man, a clock salesman. And they actually get up and move to Vidor, Texas. I think that's how you say it. Mary birthed another child who happened to be a baby girl, and now Dean had a half-baby sister. 
His mother is now, um, his mother and now stepfather decided to go out on a limb and they were like, you know what, this could actually be a good thing for us. Let's go ahead and open a candy shop, which at the time they called Pecan Prints. Whenever that they that doesn't sound like a candy store name. <laughs> <laughs> no, it sounds like a nut store. Yeah. But um that's what they decided to go with and whenever they started their business, they were selling goods out of the out of their garage at home. As their business began to grow, Dean and his younger brother were told that they have to work vigorously. Their job was to come home and work the candy machines and make the product for their stepdad to go and sell in surrounding places. One of the major places that they would go and, you know, sell the candy to was in Houston. And throughout high school, he was described as a shy kid, somewhat of a loner who didn't get involved in much. He was pretty smart and really loved playing in the school band in which he played the trombone. Real quick, the Rheumatic fever, which is what I thought it was, um, it's basically like a disease that that affects your heart and your joints and your brain and your skin, and it like it can cause um, like scarlet fever and strep throat, and it's it's just like a disease of your heart, um, okay. which is a heart murmur is like a like a extra beat in your heart, so it's like a, a he had a lot of issues with his heart. Yes, so he de- he developed that fever thing from the heart murmur itself at a very young age. So thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Um, let's go ahead and move on to after graduating. When Whenever Dean graduated high school, him and his family decided to move to the Heights in Houston. This was pretty much in order to be closer to their sales and continue growing their candy business. However... Dean actually moved back to Indiana for about two years at the request of his mother in order to help his grandmother. I guess she was really old and needed some help, um, so he decided to go help her for two years. Eventually, he decided to move back to Houston to expand the candy shop. Then he started to rent an apartment above the candy shop and. And then in the year of 1963, Mary decided to divorce Dean's stepfather. At this time, she decided to open her own candy shop, and she decided to call it the Coral Candy Company. That makes more sense as a name. Yes. So I don't know if the the pecan one was still around and maybe her ex-husband was still running it. I've never heard of that candy business, but yeah, the second name definitely makes more sense. So, Dean was then enlisted in the United States Army in the year of 1964, but he was released by honorable discharge in the year of 1965, so only about a year of serving. Within the year serving, you know, in the States, he admitted to realizing that he was actually homosexual. Quickly after Friends and family noticed behavior changes in Dean and was also agreeing in the fact that Dean was, could be or was probably homosexual. So at this time, he was pretty much back at home after he actually, I didn't mention this, but he actually left the army because he, his family needed help in their business back at home. So after returning, something clicked in Dean and murders begin 
So starting back whenever he came back from the army, he would go to local elementary schools, handing out free candy to the children and particular, like in specific boys. This is the point where Dean developed those two nicknames I mentioned earlier, um, the Candyman, because the boys around the school would say, oh, the Candyman's coming back, the Candyman. Well, that's where he developed, developed it from. His family hired a small workforce, and they mostly consisted of teenage boys who he would be flirtatious to on numerous accounts. Through all of this, a young boy by the name of David Brooks, who at the time was only 12 years old, became really, really close to Dean. Eventually, the child was gifted in cash and odd presents, like just strange things that he would gift gift this 12 year old boy eventually the relation the relationship kind of led to a sexual one it didn't really get into deep of what that actually meant but there was something going on between the two and this is kind of when everything started to fall and spiral downhill in the year of 1970 dean would begin killing young boys within three years so by 1973 he would have raped raped, tortured, and killed 28 young kids. Dang. Yes. So all within the ages um, of these victims, they were between the ages of 13 and 20 years old. Most of the victims were taken from the Heights in Houston, which at the time was a very low-income part of the city. But get this, listeners. Dean didn't work alone. He had two assistants at the time. One was a boy named Emler Henley and another, I'm sorry, Elmer Henley, and another uh, none other than David Brooks, so that boy that he was gifting all those things to. So who were some of those unlucky victims? Some of the boys were friends of the younger two kids. Some of the victims were actually random people and even employees of his candy shop that he was working with and his family owned. That's, I mean, I feel like that's like, hey, right here, red flag. These kids yes. are going missing. <laughs> yes, major red flag. I mean, come on. The victims were mostly lured or lured into his van or a Corvette that David owned and Dean actually purchased for him. So whenever I mentioned weird things that he was buying, yeah, one was actually a brand new Corvette. Wow. So, yes. So they'd actually get the victims into their vehicles by telling, by telling them that they could come to a party or come get high with us or we got booze back at the house, just hop on in or... Hey, do you need a ride? Like a hitchhiking instance. Okay, we'll take you. Well, yeah, none of that actually ever happened. Whenever they convinced those victims to come in, they'd take them back to Dean's house. They'd then be drugged or doused with alcohol until they ultimately passed out. I did find out that sometimes they do sexual play and sway the victims into putting on handcuffs in order to restrain them. After they got them where they wanted them, they either would tie the boys up to Dean's bedpost or to a plywood piece of board where they'd hang them onto the wall. Mm-hmm. After, mm-hmm, yeah, crazy. After yeah. that, the victims would be sexually assaulted, beaten, and tortured. He was known to keep them alive for a few days, 
after having their way with them. They would either strangle them to death or shoot them with a .22 caliber pistol. After the victim passed away, they would get him and tie him up in some sort of plastic sheathing and actually buried um, them out in places in one of these four spots. So I guess that they found victims' bodies, a lot of victims' bodies out of these four, which was one was at the beach on Bolivar Peninsula. One was a boat shed that he was actually currently renting at the time. Another was a woodland on a lake that his family had actually owned. And the other one, which was the fourth, was a beach in Jefferson County. After investigation began, police would find out that most of the time, Dean forced his victims to write a letter or make phone calls telling their parents that they've ran away or explain some dumb reason as to why they haven't been able to find them. As we know, most of the time, killers will keep, you know, artifacts or anything like that to show like, okay, this is the victim I killed. And Dean's thing that he liked to keep was keys from the young boys. That is so random. (laughs) Yeah, I know. So I kind of want to talk about some of the victims. I obviously can't cover 28 um, young boys, but I'm going to start off with his first victim, which was known to have been Jeffrey Conan. And at the time of his death, he was 18 years old and was walking down somewhere near the university he was attending with another student. He was actually hitchhiking, and he ended up taking a lift from Dean. David Brooks was the one who led police to the body that was buried on High Island Beach underneath a boulder. He had been killed by strangulation and a cloth was stuffed in his mouth. His body was wrapped in plastic and his hands and feet were wrapped in nylon cord. I bet you're asking what happened and how did David get into all of this mess? Well, apparently before this, David, the young boy, had actually walked in on Dean sexually assaulting two teenage boys who had been strapped to a poster board bed and in order to keep his mouth shut, he offered him a Corvette in which he accepted. Mm, That's where he got his gifts from. Yes, ma'am. So after this, Dean said he would basically pay him to like get these young boys for him he would pay him two hundred dollars for each boy that he would bring that's a lot in 1970 for a young kid at least yes ma'am that is a lot of money i mean even back then you have to work for that that's a lot of money back then Mm -hmm. so you could basically assume that david agreed to this within the three years david would assist in capturing getting these victims and giving these victims to Dean. So what about the other boy I mentioned that was his assistant? Well, he was actually someone David lured into his Corvette. And at the time, he was actually supposed to be another victim of Dean's. He was supposed to have raped and tortured and killed this boy. However, at the time of him being inside of his home, Dean made a quick decision to make him an ally. For some reason, he thought he'd be a great help as well. He then offered him $200 in order to do just as David was doing. 
He misguided the boy and told him he was being a huge help to some, quote, white slavery ring, unquote, that supposedly was operating out of Dallas, Texas. The boy ultimately never saw him kill. This is what he said at first, that he never saw him kill. He only saw him restrain the victims. So basically tie him up and everything. The entire time, pretty much he thought that the boys were being sold into a slavery a slavery ring. But I don't know if that's all that true because Brooks actually stated that the other participant slash helper was a very highly sadistic in the way that he would help Dean with his victims. So I'm saying that David Brooks, the initial helper, thought that the other helper um, was very kind of crazy and sadistic in the things that he would say and do. I mean, yeah, he wanted to help him with the slavery ring. How evil. That's like super evil already. Yes. And it was all for a mere 200 bucks for both of them. And that's what he told investigators at first kind of happened. But that's not at all what happened. Um, Within all of this time, Dean would actually move and rent out several different apartments. And in several different apartments, he would do all these things like they would take them to different locations so you can conclude that wherever he moved it just didn't matter to him because it was still going to play out as just as he wanted it just as he thought it would work he knew he could continue doing exactly what he was doing and he actually thought he wouldn't get caught at the time of all of the boys killings the helpers david and elmer weren't always there but Dean did have help burying the bodies, and sometimes Deed wouldn't even bury the bodies himself. He would make them go do it. So, I want to talk about actually what happened to Dean and how he was caught. Not caught, but how everything kind of came to the surface. Well, he actually ended up dying. So, one evening on the night of August 7th, 1973... Elmer had invited a 19-year-old girl boy, uh, a 19-year-old boy whose name was Timothy, to come over to Dean's, and this would have been at his Pasadena residence apartment, where he was set out to be, quite frankly, his next victim. And as they got there, the two kids drank a lot of booze and got really drunk. And then about at midnight that night. They decided to go out to the heights, but quickly returned after a lot of commotion was going on the streets. However, they had saw a young 15-year-old girl walking the streets and had just been beaten by her father. So they offered her a pick-me-up and some company. And I would actually come to find out that that girl was friends with the help. Mm. Okay. So... Yes. So they returned with the girl at the Pasadena apartment and you could pretty much envision how angry this made Dean. He is not into girls. He did never want a girl to come to his house. He was not into play with girls. He didn't want to murder girls. So he was angry. So after cooling off, he realized what had happened to the girl and maybe felt like a little sorry for her at first. So he offered her beer and marijuana and they all three got high except for Dean. So 
Um, they became high, they became drunk, and they eventually passed out inside Dean's home. Whenever the kids woke up, they had already been gagged, tied up, and their mouth taped shut. The boy help brought to his home was, so the boy that Elmer had brought initially, who got drunk with him at the house before going out into the heights, had already been naked. Dean had stripped him completely naked, and and he was pretty much ready for Dean to have his way with. After awakening and realizing what was happening, Elmer began pleading to Dean not to do this, that he would help Dean, as always, torture, kill, and bury both of them if he needed to, that, that just let him go. He was like, what are you doing? I'm your help. Like, why are you doing this to me? Like, let me go. I, I will continue to help you. Well, after about 30 minutes of discussing this with Dean, he actually finally agreed to untie him. After untying his assistant, Dean handed him a knife and told em Elmer to undress the girl. You, he was saying, you need to go undress her. Here's the knife. Go undress her. Ungack her. Do what you need to do because we are about to, you're about to do dirty things to her, basically. That they were both going to have their way with the two victims. Quickly after this, the victims woke up and were asking Elmer to help them. He came to realize what was about to happen and sprinted for a pistol Dean had laying around. He grabbed it, picked it up, and shouted, You've gone far enough, Dean. He was now pointing the gun right onto Dean's face, basically. There was a few seconds of confrontation, but he initially fired at Dean. The first shot hit him in the forehead. Another bullet was fired, and this hit his left, sh his left shoulder. Dean then took off running down the hallway, naked and all, and then three more shots were fired. These shots hit his lower back and his shoulder again. He then slid down the wall and died right there. After shooting Dean for the last time, he made his way to the two victims still tied up, and he untied them and said, You need to leave. Go, go, go. Just leave. Just leave. They quickly said no and said that they in instead, they insisted that they called the police, so that all three did. On the operator call, Emler stated, quote, Y'all better come right now. I just killed a man, unquote. So police arrived within minutes on Lamar Drive in Pasadena, Texas. As they pulled into the driveway, the three teenagers were sitting outside on the home's porch, Elmer's, or Elmer was put into handcuffs and shoved into the back of a police car. As the police made their way back to the cop car, he began to unravel everything. It was time, he said, that he got all of this off of his chest. The questioning began back at the police station, and Elmer pretty much told them everything. About every victim, about the killings, about how he and David lured each victim in, how they buried the victims, who they were, what they did to them, everything. The search for the victims and the search for the warrant of Dean's home was set into motion and they discovered several bodies and several pieces of evidence. So I kind of want to transition now into the trial. Do you have any questions or like comments so far? I don't. This is a really fascinating story. I do kind of remember some of it, but I don't remember like him being killed. So that was really 
like fascinating her and I'm glad he's dead honestly like he can rot for all I care (laughs) yes so like I didn't really go into detail for like what all he would do to the victims but it was just horrible like to he, he would keep them alive for several days and you know multiple times sexually abused them and raped them and the things that he would do to their bodies you know it was just it was just not good but I do want to talk about the trial and the trial would trial would be for David Brooks and Elmer Henley. So they were of course trialed separately for both accounts of the participation in the murders and cover-ups of Dean um, Coral. Elmer's court hearings were long and I'm guessing that they were a lot longer from David Brooks because he's the actually one who murdered him and came clean and all that yada yada. Well, he actually had two trials. One was in San Antonio, Texas, and the other one was in Corpus Christi, Texas, I believe. He ultimately was convicted of six murders and was sentenced to six accounts of 99 years of imprisonment. So basically, he was never going to get out of jail. Mm -hmm. (laughs) As of David Brooks, his trial lasted for only one week, I think. And after a deliberation of about 90 minutes, so an hour and a half, he was charged in one murder in the victim of a young man named Lawrence. Here, he was sentenced to life in prison. Although this has been a lot of information, this isn't even the half of it. I wasn't able to, like, to go into detail and try to cover, you know, a lot of the main points. And unfortunately, I couldn't go into each victim's story and I know we like to talk about the victims but a lot of the times you just can't with serial killers and who they like you want to talk about who the victims were and who they were as a person but you just this whole case would be very very long this would cover a lot of episodes um but with that being said I want to go ahead and say that I'm so sorry for the loss and the grief that the families must have felt and still feel um i think it still could be raw especially since all these young boys were mostly in high school middle school just graduated and how they could have died you know um they you know they must have been so terrified and knew death was on the horizon after being in dean's care for not even maybe an hour with that being said Please feel free to do your own research because there is so much more to this story in all these cases. However, I am glad that justice has prevailed once again. And ultimately, Dean's life was cut short by the hands of his own accomplices. With that being said, what do you think, Shay? That was a really good story. I think it's crazy to me that Elmer was charged with more than David because wasn't David the one who pulled Elmer in yes so David like I said in the story was actually gonna make Elmer the next victim of Dean's like yeah yeah that's crazy that Elmer was charged more when David was in it longer but I wonder do you know if he actually they charged him for him killing Dean or no I don't know if they charged him for that all I know is that they actually charged him for six murders and I do want to kind of point out that David Brooks had actually kind of stepped away in the last, 
I don't know how long, maybe six months to a year or three months or however it was, but it did say that he kind of stepped away from the from the help. And oh, okay. it was kind of Elmer taking over and doing most of it. So that could possibly be why um, he was charged with more, with more. And like I said, David Brooks said that he was satanic. So maybe he did stay and help Dean torture and murder these kids. I don't think David did. I think the only thing David did was give the victims to him. Yeah, and I think with him being young, he wasn't actually thinking what he was doing. He was just like, oh, I'm about to get this money. Like, I'm not worried about what's going to happen. Yes. But exactly. it still doesn't make it okay, but it's just maybe that's what he was going through his head. Yes, and, you know, if, if that – and being part of a victim, too, like, you're basically being groomed at 12 years old to do these certain things, and you're being groomed into thinking that it's okay, you know, at 12 years old. That's still a very vulnerable age for victims, like, to be groomed sexually and mentally. And if he was doing that to to – David, I could see why he was just like, oh, okay, it's okay. I mean, I'm not really doing anything. I'm just giving him these kids. Like, I'm not doing anything, you know? Yeah, exactly. That makes that makes sense. I was just, I was, it was weird to me that David ended up getting less. But if you think about, like, Elmer being more satanic, he probably was actually doing stuff. And, yeah, so that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but this case is really interesting. Like it's so long, so much research has gone into this. And if you guys want to learn more about it, feel free. And if you have any comments or questions, feel free to message us or, you know, comment on any social media or anything like that. And if you guys want to uncover any information such as the victims and their background, let us know, and we can definitely share it with you guys if you're interested in a particular, you know, case or victim or anything like that. Just 28 victims is so many, and we want their voices to be heard, but it, it would take, like I said, several episodes, And but we can definitely share it with you via social media if you want us to. And with that being said, that about wraps up today's episode on Texas Chicks Who Talk Murder. And again, thank you all for taking time to tune in and we love you. And always remember to stay out of dark places and watch your back because you never know who's lurking. Bye. Bye. Bye.